Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am alongside, probably not in a hotel room this time, or am I wrong, Mike McDaniel? I'm in my apartment, Andrew. Oh, wow. So really, I I mean, I've never heard of that before. A really, really nice change of pace this week. Wow. Okay. Mike's back in his apartment. Not for long, though. He will be in town this weekend for the North Carolina game. Ricky LeBlue, will you be in town this weekend for the North Carolina game? Sadly, no. I was hoping this was going to be be the week I'd be able to make it, but no, I will not be in attendance. Uh, And I have a feeling there will be a lot of people that would normally attend homecoming that won't be in attendance either. Wow, Ricky, already leave it out with the negative. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So, folks, if you are a follower of this podcast, you probably already noticed this, but we did not make an episode following the Miami game. Technical difficulties really got the best of us. So this is going to be, I guess, a double recap of the Miami game as well as the Rhode Island game. So fast track back to where we were in our last episode. The Hokies had just gotten blown out by Duke at home Friday night. On national television, I don't think I remember there ever being such a negative mood around the team in this fan base, and especially in the public opinion of Justin Fuente. One week later, they go to Miami in a game that everyone thought that they would lose. That's the fans, the local media, the national media. Virginia Tech takes a 28-0 lead. They almost blow it, but they get the win in Coral Gables. One week later, in a game that, you know, is second FCS game of the year territory, which is uncharted territory, the Hokies beat Rhode Island, though not by as much as the average fan would have hoped against a 1-4 and four FCS team. Mike McDaniel, you go first on this one. Where is this Virginia Tech team this week compared to where they were last time we talked? in your opinion. I think they're in a much better place offensively. They've stopped turning the ball over. I think Kenan Hooker has breathed life into the running game in particular. The passing games look more consistent from the standpoint of they're not turning the football over. Um, The defense is about where it was last time we chatted. Um, You know, obviously forced five turnovers against Miami. Pass rush was really good. Um, I think it was like seven or eight sacks in that Miami game. Didn't look quite as good this past weekend against Rhode Island. Um, only hand, I think it was three sacks total against Rhode Island. Didn't turn Rhode Island over at all. Uh, but on the other side of the football offensively, they 
didn't turn the football over again. So that's good news. That's two consecutive weeks without turning the football over, which, you know, you think back to the two losses they've had so far. Duke was a little bit of a lost cause, but there were some turnovers there. The cost of Hokies and the defense wasn't very good. And then go to a Boston College game. The defense, once again, was not very good. But, you know, Virginia Tech turned the ball over. What was it? Five times. Um, it, it was not very good there. Uh, in that opener, you have to figure if Hendon Hooker was a starter and he was taking care of the football like he has his first two starts, you know, if you insert him in from the beginning of the year, Virginia Tech is probably sitting here in a five and one scenario instead of four and two. And you're probably figure, you know, you're probably sitting here feeling a lot better about where they're at overall as a roster um, just based off of the consistency on the offensive side of the ball. But the, the most troubling thing for me is looking at the defense. Um, Virginia Tech has not pressured the quarterback nearly as much as they should. I wrote an article on this today over at techlunchpail.com, uh, you know, speaking to Virginia Tech's need to rush the passer with a little bit more urgency. Uh, Bud Foster needs to be a little bit more aggressive defensively, something that, you know, he really couldn't do a year ago because of injuries and, you know, inexperience in the secondary. Well, secondary overall, you know, through six games has been better than it was a year ago. When it's looked at its best, it's been because the pass rush has been good. The blitzes have been getting home. But then again, you look at the front seven, you see how young they are, and you realize there's a reason why Bud Foster isn't rushing the passer as much as he probably should or has over the course of his tenure as defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech. So there are some you know, lingering questions about the defensive side of the football at Virginia Tech. Obviously, some lingering questions offensively as well, but I think obviously the way the Virginia Techs run the ball over the last couple of weeks has been encouraging. The fact they haven't turned it over has been encouraging. And the fact that Hendon Hooker has brought a little bit of a spark to the passing game without throwing interceptions has been a good thing for the Hokies overall. So Virginia Tech's moving in a positive direction as a team right now. I think they've overall quieted the, you know, Fire Fuente crowd for the most part. I just think they need to, you know, iron some things out defensively here heading into North Carolina game. It's a big measuring stick game heading into this homecoming weekend. Ricky, what are your thoughts? Well, after the Duke game, <clears throat> that was definitely the the lowest point in in program history, at least that I've been following the program. It was it was pretty pathetic. And since then, we've seen them pull out an emotional win against Miami in a game that they probably should have lost. And then we saw them underwhelm yet again against another FCS program inside Lane Stadium. Um, I have seen subtle improvements, mainly in Hooker, who has been way, way better than Ryan Willis has been at any point this season. Uh, Hooker deserves a ton of credit for what he's done to this point, but um, the defense is not good right now. They're just not good at any of the levels. Um, they're struggling to find consistency at linebacker outside of Rayshard Ashby. The defensive line has not generated cons a consistent pass rush, and the secondary is letting guys get open, and they're not playing well enough in man-to-man -man coverage, and they're giving up too many routes both over the top and underneath. So I'm still not confident in this team. Um, I'm going to stick by that until they do something against the team that matters. Um, they they did not really deserve to win against Miami, given how they played in the second half of that game. But then again, neither Miami didn't deserve to win either because they turned the ball over five times. So Virginia Tech is in, a, in an interesting position here because even though the record says that they're not that bad of a team, if you look in depth and go you know just behind the numbers and you actually watch these performances, they're not really instilling any confidence, um, at least on a consistent basis. Ricky, well, now talking about that quarterback position, 
what does Hendon Hooker bring to the position that has made the offense look more efficient than that of Ryan Wills? What specifically stands out to you? I know uh, the turnovers are one thing, but what about his game otherwise? Is that difference maker? Well, he's a legit threat to run. And um, even though we saw Ryan Willis scramble a bit last season, um, he wasn't doing it much of all uh, this year. And that really limits this offense. This offense really thrives when you have a quarterback who can damage you with their feet. And Head and Hooker can do that. Uh, we've seen several design quarterback draws. We've seen design quarterback runs. We've seen him scramble out of the pocket and run for first downs. He's doing things that Ryan Willis couldn't do. I know that Willis is probably better of a passer than a Hendon Hooker is in terms of pure arm talent, but Hendon Hooker has just as strong of an arm. His accuracy is most likely going to improve while he's in college, and he's making smarter decisions. He's not turning the football over. I think that's a huge, huge point of this offense. I mean, Justin Fuente has talked about at least for two seasons now how Virginia Tech is going to win games in three-and-a-half-hour stomach aches. Well, you don't win those three-and-a-half-hour stomach aches when you turn the ball over every other possession, and that's something that Ryan Willis was doing. Hendon Hooker is not doing that, and I'm curious to see if he's able to keep this going as there's more and more game film on him and opposing defensive coordinators get kind of a better view of him. But as of right now, you got to hand it to the guy. The fact that he was in the portal just a few months ago, and now he's turned into one of the at least the better quarterbacks in the ACC over the last couple weeks. Uh, it's a pretty impressive comeback. Mike, what are your thoughts about how the offense works under Hooker? Yeah, I mean, Ricky hit the nail on the head, right? It's the elusiveness at the quarterback position in the running game. It's the fact that he hasn't turned the football over. And it's not like Hendon Hooker has been putting up these stellar passing numbers, right? I mean, he was only 10 of 20 uh, in the game against Miami, but he did throw for over 180 yards in that football game, had a handful of touchdowns there. Uh, he made a couple of huge throws in particular in particular on the final drive to give Virginia Tech the lead and ultimately uh, seal up the game for the Hokies. Um, he looked much better, much more efficient against a Rhode Island defense. It really isn't all that good. Um, you know, Virginia Tech is a team that, uh, you know, offensively has struggled throughout the year with turning the football over. Um, but defensively, you know, again, that's where the questions lie at this point. I, I do think that Virginia Tech passing the football needs to become more efficient and more consistent clearly throughout the rest of the year. Uh, running the football has looked good throughout the last couple of weeks. But again, you know, Miami's rushing defense hasn't been great this year. Rhode Island's defense has been worse. So Virginia Tech to continue to do that against coastal opponents here down the stretch is going to be crucial if they want to make any noise in the division. All right, guys, we, we have seen, you know, some of the good parts of Hendon Hooker's game. Obviously, I think that we understand that he's still a flawed player. He's an imperfect player. His deep ball might, might not necessarily be where you would want it to be, though he has hit on it so far this season. Ricky, you talked about how coaches will be getting more game tape on him. How do you think Hooker can be exposed, and what do you think his ceiling is for this year? Well, for this year, his ceiling is probably something of what we saw of Gerard Evans in 2016. Uh, I don't see him getting to that point, maybe, but that's probably the best that, that we're going to see out of Hendon Hooker through this point. He just isn't, you know, he's not a complete quarterback yet, and that's fine. He's he's still young. He's in his third season in the program, his third season in college football. Um, but defenses are probably going to start just, 
loading up the box and forcing him to make throws one-on-one. We've seen Hooker's arm get a little erratic in these situations, uh, even though he's been able to hit some guys. So it's just kind of that inconsistency with his ball placement and his ability to hit guys downfield that has kind of plagued him thus far. Now, granted, he had Damon Hazleton in the breadbasket in the last game and just couldn't, and Damon Hazleton missed it. Um, you got to have that catch if you're Damon, and it's Damon Hazelton is his own enigma, which we can probably get to later on in the pot if we want. But um, defenses are probably going to try and shut him down in terms of the run game, and they're going to force him to make throws. They're going to force him to make quick reads, and they might start uh, disguising some of their coverages a bit because he probably hasn't gotten to that point in his development. Uh, but it's up to this offensive coaching staff to find different and creative ways to get him in comfortable situations. Um, that's what they're getting paid the big bucks for. And when you have a young quarterback, it's incumbent upon you to figure out how to get him in the chances where he can succeed. Now, Mike, looking to the run game, one thing that has to be noted from these past three games, and that's including the, the Duke game, is that Deshaun McLeese has actually been able to get going. What have you seen differently in this run game? Is it a matter of approach? Is it a matter of offensive line play? Or is it something else? Well, I mean, I think the offensive line has played a little bit better, but I think the main component and the main reason why Virginia Tech's run game has improved is when defenses, opposing defenses have stacked the box. They've had the threat of a runner at quarterback, which Virginia Tech didn't have through the first four or so games. I think when you have Hendon Hooker as a threat to pull the ball out on these option plays and run it around the outside, you have to keep the de- the defenses kept a little bit more honest with, you know, McLeese going up the middle or Keyshawn King going up the middle or, you know, Hendon Hooker pulling and keeping around the outside. I mean, you have those types of plays now, which are you know, more realistic options for you when you have a quarterback who can run. You didn't have that through the first four games. Uh, Ryan Willis wasn't necessarily a threat to run, which is obviously a significant boon to Virginia Tech when Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson chose to insert Hendon Hooker into the starting lineup. So in my opinion, that's the biggest difference with the run game right now. I do think the offensive line has uh, done a much better job throughout the last couple games at Number one, keeping Hendon Hooker upright in the passing game, but number two, making sure the running game has um, has had ample opportunities, and you know they've created holes and they've blocked well downfield, something they weren't able to do uh, throughout the first handful of games throughout the month of September. But I do think a major reason for that was because Hendon Hooker was more of a threat to run. He was able to keep the defense honest, and he was able to give the Hokies another option in the running game. Now, Ricky, turning over to the defensive side of the ball especially in that defensive backfield. You have guys like Chamari Connor, a true sophomore who have really impressed throughout this season and played far beyond expectations, a young guy. On the other side of that, you have Reggie Floyd, the only starting senior on this defense, a guy who was supposed to be the leader and has quite frankly underperformed expectations. What sticks out to you about this defense? Who has been a pleasant surprise here halfway through the season, and what could they be doing better? Uh, well, in terms of surprises, Shamari Connor is definitely the guy. Um, Virginia Tech hasn't had a playmaking whip since Mook Reynolds was kicked out of the program. Um, he was such an impactful player at that spot, and his mentality, his his physicality, the way that he approached the game was really a perfect fit for that position. But now you have a guy in Shamari Connor who is maybe a bit bigger in terms of stature, but has shown 
the same kinds of athleticism downfield and when he's rushing off the edge. Um, he's making good plays. He's delivering hits. Uh, he's finding ways to get his hands in, in front of receivers and break up passes. Um, he's really been an excellent, excellent whip. And um, from my understanding, Pro Football Focus, who's now dabbled into you know college grading, they've graded him as to one of the better defensive uh, secondary guys in the country. Uh, so Virginia Tech seems to have found themselves a stud there. Uh, Rayshard Ashby's not a surprise. I think we saw last year uh, what he's capable of doing, and he's doing everything and more uh, this season. Um, but for me, it, it's the pass rush, and it's the play on the outsides at cornerback. Uh, they are not generating a consistent rush off the edge. They're not generating a consistent rush up the middle, and that's leaving their guys on the outside on an island, and those guys are not capable of holding up for four to five seconds in coverage. Uh, I'm not even sure they're capable of holding up shorter than that. We've seen them bust coverages repeatedly, uh, whether it be at safety or at corner. Uh, this defense has a propensity of giving up big plays downfield, big chunk plays. And you can't you can't do that in this day and age. Too many teams are making a living off that. If you're going to give up multiple 20 to 30 yard completions downfield, you're going to allow these teams to score and put up points. And as we've seen, even though Virginia Tech's offense looks better, this unit isn't exactly in the Big 12. Uh, you're not wrong about that, Ricky. Uh, and you saw what Rhode Island was able to do offensively against Virginia Tech. Rhode Island, like we talked about, an FCS team, though they have two extremely talented receivers, two guys that, you know, very well could start for a lot of teams in the ACC, if not all of them, maybe minus Clemson. Does what Rhode Island did against Virginia Tech, does that look like a sign of worse things to come? Because at that point, you have 45 points allowed against Duke, 35 points allowed against Miami, and now 17 points against a Rhode Island team that most people thought a good ACC team would be able to shut out. There were a couple of occasions in the game against Rhode Island where Virginia Tech had Rhode Island backed up behind the sticks and gave up big plays, right? There was a... Uh, third down play in the second quarter. I think it was like third and 20. Rhode Island picks up a huge third down, um, eventually ends up scoring on that drive. Um, there were a couple other occasions in this game where Rhode Island was behind the sticks and Virginia Tech had no business allowing a first down, and they did. Those types of big chunk plays, I don't care what down it is. I don't care what the distance is. They just can't happen, right? Especially against an FCS opponent. So, you know, that's a that's something to monitor here moving forward against better competition. This game against Rhode Island felt a little bit different overall start to finish, right, than Furman, for example. Like, I looked at the Rhode Island game, even when Rhode Island pulled within seven. I didn't – now, granted, let me let me back up a step real quick. I watched the Rhode Island game um, in a replay. I didn't watch it live, so I had the benefit of knowing what the result was. But when I watched the replay, I didn't really feel like at any point in time that Virginia Tech was in real trouble to lose that football game. I felt differently about Furman. Um, when Furman had the onside kick, Furman was leading, obviously, at halftime. I felt a little bit different about that football game than I did against Rhode Island. Virginia Tech's offense stalled out, obviously, in the second half. The defense gave up some more chunk plays, um, a continuation of what happened in the second quarter. And that, in a vacuum, needs to obviously change. But I felt a little bit differently about the game against Rhode Island than I did against Furman than I did against Old Dominion when Virginia Tech hit a lull in the third quarter and turned the ball over a couple times. It didn't really feel the same to me. It felt like Virginia Tech almost just 
kind of went to sleep for a minute and then just woke up in the fourth quarter and obviously played a lot better. It just felt a little bit different. I think the Hokies are starting to sustain offensive momentum. The defense is where I really worry. And those chunk plays are what I take away most from the Rhode Island game. It's not the fact that Virginia... Uh, the Virginia Tech was in a tight game against an FCS opponent. I don't really care about that as much. I really the the big takeaway for me really is the fact they they continue to give up these chunk plays. They continue to get teams behind the sticks and they lean a little bit back defensively and don't get as aggressive as they should defensively. That's a major concern for me. I think the play calling by Bud Foster needs to improve a little bit. I do think they need to bring more heat on opposing quarterbacks. And I do think the secondary needs to tighten up a little bit. Um, that's my biggest concern heading into this weekend against North Carolina coming up. You know, you got um, a, a team in North Carolina that's played pretty well so far. They've got an improved passing game. Um, the running game's been okay. The defense is obviously playing hard under Mac Brown. You know, there are signs here that North Carolina is obviously heading in a really good direction. I think if Virginia Tech's able to try able to steal this game as an underdog at home, it really could be a turning point in their season. But if they continue to give up those chunk plays, I have a feeling this North Carolina game might not be all that close, maybe something similar to what we saw against Duke. So that's the biggest concern for me. Mike, doesn't it worry you that Virginia Tech has been in a one-score game in the fourth quarter against two FCS teams, one of which was one and four coming into the game and their only win was against an Ivy League school? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Tech looked good in, in the first quarter and a half against Rhode Island. I think they went to sleep for about a quarter there. It didn't look all that good. But once again, like when you come off a big win against Miami and you have probably your biggest game of the year coming up against North Carolina and you've got a FCS team in the middle of October sandwiched in between, I mean, for there to be a, a lull in the middle of the game was not all that surprising to me, especially when you see how inconsistent the defense has played all year long. Um, it wasn't really that big of a surprise to me that it was a, it was a one score game in the third quarter, but what was most important to me was the fact that Virginia tech was resilient in the second half, didn't roll over like they have against other opponents, really put, put the pedal to the metal when they needed to, but the offensive lulls and the defense's tendency to give up chunk plays that's the biggest takeaway and the biggest concern for me heading throughout the rest of the season, because that's been something that's been consistent all year long. Yeah. I mean, and the one thing that I think you truly have to acknowledge though, the difference, like you were saying, Mike, between the Furman game or the Duke game versus the Rhode Island game was that Virginia tech scored on all but two of their drives. Now, granted, they were inefficient in the red zone at times. They had two field goals that really could have and should have been seven on the board, and then suddenly the score is going to look a lot more comforting to the fan who's observing by just looking at the box score, right? But Handed Hooker is running this offense efficiently, which is the main difference, and you have to acknowledge that that change is something that could be the spark that's taken Virginia Tech from a team that had been relatively ineffective to a team with an offense that if Hendon can get it going, can have a Miami like game where despite their inexperience and in, a t in some senses inadequacies talent wise against some of these other teams, they could pull something off. But granted, like you said, especially against a big time arm, like Sam Howe, the lapses on defense, the big, the big, just letting up that big play, which has now been a problem for two years. I think the defense is more sound overall than they were last year. I think they've upgraded at a number of positions, but at the same time that 
tendency to continuously give up the chunk play is still there. And you can't have full confidence in a team that is consistently going to lapse defensively if you, like Ricky said, you're not a Big 12 team. That you're just not there yet. Well, and it's not just that, but it's the fact that they, at least for the last two seasons now, they've consistently underperformed against these FCS programs. These are programs that Virginia Tech should be taken out to the woodshed. Virginia Tech is supposed to be a borderline powerhouse ACC program that is going to compete for 8 to 10 wins a season at minimum, and they're going to take these FCS teams and show them where they belong. And they're just not doing that. And I understand that Virginia Tech is young, and that's fine. But when you have a team that's supposedly de- that bringing in talent that has all these Power 5 offers, and you have these coaches who have track records of success at other programs, particularly Memphis, then they come in here, and now that Fuente has got a roster that's full of his guys, and they're not getting the job done against teams that they should be absolutely destroying. And I think that that is a serious, concerning problem. And it's one of the reasons why they can't get more than, I don't know, thirty to 40,000 people, honestly. I know we all know the attendance number was announced differently, but that we all know that's BS. We, they can't get out a good crowd in the middle of October when the weather is actually not that bad. I know it was a little cold, but they can't get a team or a crowd out to go watch them whoop the shit out of Rhode Island. Because they know they're not going to whoop the shit out of Rhode Island. They know that Rhode Island's going to be they won a by seventeen. Game in the quarter, I mean, they won. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't I mean, it shouldn't happen. be a one-score game in the third quarter. I'm with you there, but like they won by seventeen. It was a one-score game in the fourth it's an, quarter. It's an FCS team in the middle of October. I mean, Virginia Tech shouldn't have even been in this position. I mean, we've gone down the East Carolina route. Like this was a tough position Virginia Tech was put in to even have a second FCS team on their schedule. But nobody wants to go watch Tech play an FCS team in September. Virginia Tech usually gets some attendance numbers out there just because of the fact it's an early season home game, but nobody's going to want to watch Rhode Island play in an FCS game in the middle of October. They're going to want to watch West when they know their team has zero chance of blowing out a team that has no I agree, but they won by 17. I mean, they still won by 17. Okay, but that's not the point. You should be winning these games against FCS programs by 30. You shouldn't be in one-score games in the fourth quarter where you actually have to show up and play your starter. I mean, starter. you got a quarterback making – I, that, I agree with you. I'm I saying. mean, you still have a quarterback making a second start. You have a really young defense. I mean, it shouldn't have been a one-score game. I'm 100% with you there. But it's Rhode Island. Their first winning season since 2001 was last year. They've had one winning season since 2001. Okay. This is not a Furman team that is borderline top 25 – or has experience competing with group of five teams. This is an FCS program that had one win this season, and it was against Brown. Okay, Ricky, you're not wrong, but the I mean, it's concerning, obviously. But yes, the and I think I think we need to harp on this. No, I think like, this is a critical part of the fact that Virginia Tech can't put away these FCS teams. They can't they do it. Doesn't that not bother really. the I mean, shit they won out of you? by seventeen. I. They didn't put them away. You should be putting these teams away at halftime. Ricky, at the end of the day, I mean, if they come out and beat North Carolina, then what does it matter? Okay, I understand that. But Virginia Tech needs to be held to a higher standard. That's my point. I don't think it's acceptable for them to show up in the fourth quarter and win by 17 against Rhode Island. They need to be winning by 20-plus at halftime. This game needs to be a 30-point game by the end of it. And there needs to be no doubt, no doubt, 
that Virginia Tech is better than Furman or Virginia Ricky. Tech is better than Rhode Island. A lot of people thought Virginia Tech should have had to defend on that last drive because they got possession back on the onside kick because of some obscure penalty. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I'm I'm with you. I'm the goalposts have moved, but the goalposts have moved. Like, yes, but I'm saying the the goalposts should not be moved. Justin Fuente is in his fourth season at Virginia Tech. He should have this shit figured out by now, and he doesn't. He just flat out doesn't. His team is floundering at home in front of a crowd that is disinterested because they can't put away FCS programs. That's that's the state of this football program right now, and I understand that there are opportunities later in the season for them to right the ship and start putting a whooping on some people. But given what we've seen through the first several games of the season, that's not going to happen. And I'm pretty sure that both of y'all agree with that. I mean, like, what do you think? The I'll ask both of you then. What, if guessing right now, how's this season going to end? Like, where, where are they at? Have you changed your opinion? I mean, I know after Duke, we thought we were completely toast. I know after Miami, in the podcast that never got aired, Mike thought that Virginia Tech might be able to right the ship and sneak into a bowl game with a seven-win record. Ricky, you didn't think there was a shot of that. After the Rhode Island game, where are you at? Mike, you can go first. I mean, after the Miami, or after the Duke game, I still thought it could be seven and five. Um, I think that's the floor here still. Like, you look at the teams. You look at the teams in the coastal division that are left. Georgia Tech's not any good. That could be a win. Like Notre Dame, it's safe to write off. But like every other game remaining is a toss up. Like Pitt, what have they shown? Like they're they beat UCF. Like what else have they done? They lost. Yeah, yeah. Like what has Pitt shown that makes you think that they're much much better on the field than Virginia Tech is? Like not much in my opinion. Like Notre Dame's the only surefire loss remaining on the schedule. North Carolina, <clears throat> they've been up and down. They look really good against Clemson. Uh, they lose to a now ranked app state. I mean, North Carolina, truth be told, as far as the ACC is concerned, is probably the best team left on Virginia Tech's schedule after what I saw out of UVA against Miami. UVA, they haven't beat Virginia Tech in 15 years. Until they do it on the field, I'm not, I'm not buying that as a surefire win for UVA. Uh, Georgia Tech's very bad. Uh, North Carolina is a home game, so you're going to have an opportunity. You're only a three-point underdog hanging into that game this weekend. Um, and, and again, like I'm not necessarily buying Pittsburgh. Wake Forest, their defense is atrocious. They have a very good offense, but if you find a way to force a couple turnovers in that game and you're at home, who knows what happens. I think you can absolutely win seven or eight games still, uh, given the state of the ACC right now. I mean, the ACC is the worst, co- the worst Power 5 conference in the country, even worse than the Pac-12 at this point. Yeah, definitely. The ACC is worse than the Pac-12, but I mean, for me, I think the floor is probably five or six wins. Uh, I think the ceiling is seven. I don't think they can get any more than seven wins. We've seen this team just be too wildly inconsistent throughout the season to 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 think that they're going to win. What I mean, that would be what three any any more than three games remaining on the on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, I, I disagree. I mean, yeah. I think I think Notre Dame is a uh, Notre Dame's the only surefire loss remaining. I mean, anything else? I think I'm not saying that there are surefire losses, but I'm saying it's it's not reasonable to expect this this team to win more of those toss ups than they're going to lose. I agree with that. I mean, the thing, Mike, is that with the inconsistent, I I agree with aspects of what both of you are saying, like. I have a hard time believing that this defense 
which we have seen now let up over 30 points. Or, I mean, not actually fucking completely scratched that because I'm reading into it wrong. You let Boston College put 35 up on you. You let Duke put up 45 on you. And you let Miami put up 42 on you or 35 on you. That doesn't scream the kind of consistency that I would expect to get to like the eight win mark. I do think that if Hendon Hooker can keep this train going, the offense might have enough in it to beat, you know, a, a combination of three, maybe four at the m- most, more of these people, like of these teams that we have to play. They're not going to beat Notre Dame, but I have a hard time imagining that they're going to go any better than two and two against a combination of UNC, Wake, Pitt, and UVA. If the defense can show up, maybe I'll expect differently. But as we get more and more tape on Hendon Hooker, I think that teams are going to be able to expose him more. And like you said, if, if this offense takes a step back and this defense stays stagnant, it's not going to be good. Mike, is there a game on the schedule outside of Georgia Tech in which you think Virginia Tech should be favored to win? Outside right of Georgia now? Tech? Yeah, outside outside of the Yellow Jackets, because we know that Jeff Collins has got his hands full and he is doing the the biggest rebuild ever known to man in college football, trying to get Georgia so Tech bad. out of the nineteen nineties. Um the the only game, truthfully, <laughs> the only game that I think they could be favored in remaining outside Georgia Tech is Pittsburgh. But um I, I think every other game outside the Notre Dame game should be inside a touchdown, which I mean in the ACC at this point is a total toss up. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're not the favorites against UNC. And I can't imagine, outside of beating UNC and Notre Dame, or a complete and total collapse by Wake, that they would go into that game as the favorite. But I can imagine Pitt going into that game as a favorite. And UVA, who knows? Bryce Perkins has been exposed. They don't have enough on offense to rely completely on him. And losing Bryce Hall on defense is a big loss. That offense, did you guys watch that Miami UVA game? No, I didn't so that, actually. I did not watch that. That, that was, was a, that was the one ugly. ACC game this weekend I saw a good bit of live outside of the second half of Louisville Wake Forest, which good god, I hope you like offense. Um whew, that was ugly. Um <laughs> you don't watch that UVA yeah. Miami game. Like. Hey, hey Mike, who who won that at Wake Forest Louisville game? Louisville did. Oh, oh man, yeah. that's disappointing. I'm sorry. It is. Yeah, it's disappointing. It's <laughs> I'm I'm I've torn up about it over here. It's killing me. I'm sure you um, are, man. You were you were hashtag steam and deeks, baby. And I was. Louisville I'm still just, steam and deeks. Just beat the pants off them of inside their own state. Which hold on real sec. Wake Forest was nineteenth in the country and they had approximately 200 people show up to that game in hey, prime man. time. Like, that's, that's really disappointing. <laughs> Wake on, Forest will always be a basketball school, and don't tell Danny Manning any different with his horrible basketball teams. They'll always be a basketball <laughs> school. Um, uh, for, oh, Virginia. Yeah, good Lord. Um, okay, Virginia-Miami. Yes, I saw a good bit of this game. Virginia is inherently flawed. Like, Okay, so the defense for Virginia has been really good. Granted, the Bryce Hall injury is ginormous in the secondary. Like, he's a first or second round NFL talent that you're losing in the secondary. That is massive, and you're going to be without him for the rest of the season. But the Virginia defense has been really good. The one thing that we've mentioned on this podcast 
is that Virginia's running game outside of Bryce Perkins is largely non-existent. Like you're having a lot of trouble running the football with their running backs right now. You can even make the argument at this point that Virginia Tech's running game is a little bit more consistent now with Hendon Hooker in the lineup than UVA's is, right? Like you can make that argument. It's crazy. You can't even imagine that like three weeks ago, but now with the way that Deshaun McLeese has looked and Hendon Hooker's looked since he's been inserted back into the lineup, you wonder almost if the floor for Virginia Tech running the football is what we're seeing with UVA, you know, once teams figure out Hendon Hooker, right? Because UVA is UVA is now facing the situation offensively where you have opposing defenses keying on Bryce Perkins, the running game of Wayne Tulapapa hasn't gotten going. PK Keir hasn't been the answer in the backfield. Like Virginia has got questions to answer in the running game. And when teams key on Bryce Perkins and make him beat you through the air, it hasn't been a sound strategy now in two consecutive games for UVA. So Virginia is an inherently flawed team right now. He's excellent, man. He's really, like, he's really good, but he can't do it by himself. I mean, he's an excellent player. He's an outstanding quarterback, but he really can't do it by himself, and he really needs some more help outside Joe yeah. Reed in the passing game. Yeah, no. I, I've, got a, I've got a good question for you guys. How much of Virginia Tech's potential for the rest of this season resides solely on Hen and Hooker's shoulders? A lot, I would say. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I feel like he's – He's got to continue to do what he's doing and more if this team is going to get to that seven. That seven. And, and the mark. reason why I say that is because I don't think the defense is getting any better, which is a problem. No, no, they're not. They're not. They're right. not going to get better. And and that's that's absolutely incredible to think that a Bud Foster defense can't you, find ways to improve and develop throughout the season. Yep. And that they're as bad yep. as they've been for the last year Big and a half. Tech won't win a single game this year without scoring 30 points. There's no way. There's just no Yeah, that's way. that's except, probably except accurate. for Georgia that's Tech. But right. I don't even know if we even count that game. Like Georgia Tech, yeah, Georgia right, Tech right, right. can't score. If they score 30 against Georgia yeah. Tech, then no, they've got a problem. I agree. They shouldn't have to score 30. And if they don't hold if they don't hold Georgia Tech to under I don't know 20 24 points then we also have another gigantic problem right well by that point I feel like we'll have a decent grasp on how much of a problem we have at hand you know I mean God knows that they'll get absolutely smacked upside the head by Notre Dame but North Carolina and Wake Forest are the two tests that will be able to tell you if the season is even worth caring about anymore, you know what I mean? Like for the average fan, like by the, by the the end of this three game stretch, right? Because I mean, things are still relatively up in the air, given that Hendon Hooker in a small sample size has showed us an offense that under Ryan Willis was turning the ball over or not moving the ball at all. With Hendon Hooker, they've scored points. They've scored them relatively effectively. Like, you know, like I said, they only didn't score on two drives against Rhode Island. And though obviously the offense had good situations to work with, given the turnovers that the defense forced against Miami, they were given short fields. Hooker was still very effective. And that was against a defense that was top 15 in the country coming into that game in the kids' first game. 
So who knows what kind of potential this offense has if Hooker can continue to get comfortable on that spot. Maybe they could get better. I still think that we could see more out of these wide receivers. We see it in spurts, right? You see it in moments, but it is disheartening to see, especially a couple times in that Rhode Island game, Damon Hazleton just dropping the ball on some of these big plays that Hendon Hooker is putting him in a position to get. Like, if you look at the effective QB, like the effective completion percentage in the way that coaches graded out, Hooker is throwing good balls and making good decisions in more situations than his actual completion percentage would reflect. Because there's been a lot yeah. of drops on the outside. So, one more thing I want to add, but because I, I know we're getting close to wrapping this one up, but why in the actual hell did it take Virginia Tech this long and switching quarterbacks to I get agree. their tight ends involved in the offense? Yeah, why did that's it been take the biggest difference? Long? That's been the biggest difference in the offense over the last two weeks than it was at the beginning of the year, right? Like there were the four games where Virginia Tech really struggled; they were turning the ball over a ton, they couldn't run the ball well, but. The question all along and the question a lot of people were asking was like, what happened to Dalton Keene? What happened to James Mitchell? Obviously, Trey Turner's been hurt, but for a while there, it was what happened to Trey Turner. Like there hasn't been, you know, plays run that put the ball in the hands of some of Virginia Tech's best playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Now, all of a sudden, you have Hendon Hooker inserted in the starting lineup. James James Mitchell uh, is getting more involved. Dalton Keene now uh, for the second consecutive week is an ACC player of the week at tight end. Like, all of a sudden, the offense looks competent. You're getting your tight ends involved, your playmakers involved. Trey Turner, you get him back fully healthy. You know, hopefully, he's able to make an impact with Damon Hazelton coming back and making plays here and there. Like, this is an offense that still has untapped potential if Hendon Hooker is able to keep up what he's got going here and, and continue to make steady steps forward in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I honestly don't blame Fuente for waiting as long as he did. I think he made the decision at the time that he had to make the decision. I mean, Ryan had a, a game that seemed like a one-off bad game against Boston Colleges with the interception, though he did pile up a bunch of yards, and you kind of thought, well, this is the Ryan Willis we know from last year. He had an uncharacteristically bad game with the turnovers. Uh, he didn't play a poor game, really, against Old Dominion, though it wasn't flashy. Furman was obviously a concerning game, and they did, I mean, ultimately in the Duke game, try to switch quarterbacks in and out, but it had to happen when it happened. The 45 to 10 drumming that you received by Duke when the offense just couldn't move the ball to save its life was obviously the point where you take a guy who had started and not played terrible a year before and you just understand that it's time to make a switch. So, I mean, obviously the offense looks better under uh, Pendant Hooker's quarterback leadership, but I, I think that they thought that Ryan's arm would be the one to elevate some of the weapons that they have on the outside. That obviously wasn't the case, and it was time to make a change. Yeah, and one more question for you guys before we wrap this thing up. As of right now, October 15th, we record this podcast. Who's your pick to win the ACC Coastal? Let me get my random number generator. Oh, yeah. Get that generator going. I'll go Carolina. That's not the generator. That's my opinion. Wow. Okay. Ricky? Uh, I really don't want to do this. This conference is not even worth picking. It's it's such a it's such an abject disaster. Um man, uh I honestly don't I think UVA is still the favorite. 
Um, I they're, they're it's just everyone's so bad. I don't even know, man. Like, it, it it's it's unconscionable that Virginia Tech it has had the start the season that they've had thus far, and this conference is so bad to the point where Virginia Tech is technically still in the conversation for the ACC Coastal Championship. Um, so. Yeah, I, I guess I'm gonna go with UVA. I think uh, Pitt would be the outside like dark horse, but um, UVA is probably still number one. Yeah, I think UVA should be the favorite. I'm gonna go with Pittsburgh just to be different. Um, I don't know. I like the way they're playing right now, but they're just as inconsistent as everybody else. So I don't like the way anyone in this division's playing. <laughs> it's a fair I think, I think everyone is it like I think everyone stinks. You watch your own team and you're like. Oh God, we're so flawed. This team isn't going to do anything. And then, like, like to your point, Ricky, I know you'd say that what games should they be favored in? But outside of Notre Dame, there's there's no game that at this point today I'd be totally like. Well, hold, hold on a second. I know I know we're going way long on this pod, but hold on a second. What about Duke? Duke, no, Duke is my Duke's, my second. Duke's two and one. Now, granted, they still have. I'm looking at their schedule now. They get Miami at home, which is big. Um, they get Syracuse at home, so you don't have a you don't have to go play in the in the Jiffy Pop Dome. Um, that the the Duke game at Virginia is probably going to determine um where where that everything goes, and that's in what four days. So. The, the, this week against Virginia might determine whether or not Duke is or who's going to be the favorite to win this division because they're both two and one. And we will make our pick for that Duke Virginia game on the next episode of the Hokie Hangover podcast. That will come out in either one or two days from the release of this episode. We will preview the North Carolina game, go into the details around the rest of the ACC, and just do all the regular stupid stuff that we do on this podcast. Uh, until then, I am Andrew Alex. You can follow me at Andrew Alex Radio on Twitter. Mike, where can they find you on Twitter? At Mike McDaniel CFB. All right. So we will catch you guys next time. Until then, go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs>